0: A lot of things switching on today. A lot of things switching on. Okay, let me uh, share with you a short story. Um, I went on a trip to uh, Tajikistan a few years ago, and I had to land in the Dubai airport for the very first time. Never been to the Dubai airport before. Very privileged to be there, of course. Uh, It's a big airport. It's a really, really big airport. I got out of the plane, and I sort of walked out, and I thought, whoa. Where the heck do I go next? This like, is just stuff, people going everywhere. And I know some of you have probably been through it before and think of nothing. But I got there, I felt lost. I couldn't find where I had to go. Actually, I felt really weak. I felt a bit powerless. I felt, what the heck is going on? And I thought to myself, and maybe you might think like this too, what's it feel like when you're out of control? What's it feel like when you're helpless or you feel helpless? What does that feel like? not a good feeling, is it? It's not a good feeling at all. I've heard people say that when I'm helpless or out of control, I just long to be saved. I just long to be rescued. I just long for someone who's able to come in and take control of the situation where I feel so helpless and so powerless and so weak. We're going to think about that today as we go into the Bible and look at a passage. And this passage is in Daniel chapter 4. So if you've got your Bibles, please head there. And uh, we are going to read from chapter 4 and verses 34 through 37. So let's go there and let's do that now. Verses 34 through 37. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me and I blessed the Most High and praised and honoured him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion. And his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, What have you done? My kingdom and my majesty and splendor return to me. Sorry. Back to 36. At the same time, my reason returned to me, for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. (coughs) My counselors and my lords sought me, and I was established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, for all his works are right, and his ways are just, and those who walk in pride. He is able to humble. Let's pray, guys. Uh, Father, we just thank you again that we can come today and uh, just be surrounded uh, together, uh, surrounded by your word, in your word now, Lord. Father, thank you for the precious truth, the precious gift that your word is now. And I ask Holy Spirit, please, as we consider the sovereignty of God, this massive, massive statement, this massive truth, this massive foundational principle about God, please, please, Guide us into a deeper understanding about this and let it produce in our hearts faith. Let it produce in our hearts worship. Let it produce in our hearts comfort and security as we rest in God. This we now ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, probably over the last few weeks you've heard a fair amount of commentary Also, along the lines of what is God doing here? What is God doing in this virus? What on earth is he up to? Like God, why don't you rescue us from this virus right now? Now I've heard this coming from people who are followers of Jesus and this has also come from people who aren't followers of Jesus. There's a sense here where there's a cry out to God and these questions have kept coming. God, what are you doing in this virus? God, why don't you stop this virus right now? God, are you able to stop this virus? Are you waiting for something, for us to do something before you'll stop it, God? Or is there something as it we're holding you back from working here? God, what's happening in all this? And you see, all of those questions uh, cause us to look at the very foundations of who God is. And these questions then, as we might have them in our hearts or our minds, will become a determining factor on our faith what we believe about God and who He is. These questions will actually begin to have, a, as it were, a sway of how we think about God. And this, in turn, as we think about this idea of who God is, uh, will contribute to either calming our fears or allowing our fears to ramp up out of control to extreme levels. If we don't get this right about God, actually our fear will increase. And this is a real-time outcome now of the, of the uh, circumstances we're in with the COVID-19 virus. Uh, fear is rising to extreme levels. You've only got to get onto social media or watch the news and you see the fear is everywhere. And this fear, as it were, stems from uh, being out of control or feeling powerless in the current situation that we find ourselves in. We feel like we can't do anything. This Everything's outside of our control and we can't feel like we're able to put any sort of power into the situation that we're in. Uh, this is, but this is the, particularly the reason why I chose this passage here from Daniel chapter 4. Uh, it's here where we see a vivid picture of God's sovereignty, of God's rule and reign over the earth, over the universe for that aspect. Because what this does is as we begin to get a grasp of the of an unlimited sovereign God, it begins to build our faith. As we grasp the vastness and the unlimited power of a sovereign God, this begins to build our faith. And what this faith does, this faith overcomes our fear. This faith helps us to step through our fear and overcome those fears. And also this understanding of God's sovereignty uh, leads to a worship of a good and sovereign, loving King as well. Firstly though, you might be thinking this is a real strange passage Maybe you, this is the first time you've joined with us and you've looked at a Bible passage And you're thinking, what the heck is all that about there from Daniel chapter 4 Who is Daniel? Uh, Daniel's a writer, he's a prophet uh, from the Old Testament And he's a, he's a writer who's recorded for us the inspired scripture from the Holy Spirit for us to read today This passage here is about King Nebuchadnezzar from Babylon Uh, He was the king of a world superpower of the day. Probably, if you combine the USA and Russia and China together, that was probably the extent of the Babylonian Empire. It was the dominant ruling power of the world. And Nebuchadnezzar, he was the ruler, he was the king of Babylon. Uh, He also was a very, very proud king. And his power, as it were, fueled his pride. Uh, He just thrived on power and all it did was produce more and more pride in his life. Uh, At this particular time, he had a dream which was somewhat confusing for him. Uh, In this dream, there was a tree, this massive tall tree, and this tree was cut down, but what remained was a stump. This stump remained. and Part of this dream was the stump was wet with dew and it was amongst a whole paddock of grass with cows and cattle wandering around this stump at the same time. Now, uh, Daniel here comes along as a prophet from God and he actually interprets this dream for King Nebuchadnezzar. And here is the interpretation of this dream. It turns out that this stump is the fall of Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar, that he would lose his mind. He would become insane, irrational. He would have the mind of of a cattle or a beast and he actually would go and live with the cattle in the dew of the grass out in the paddocks and the fields not just for a few days, a few weeks, it actually says for seven years. He did this. He went irrational and insane and lived with the beast for seven years. At the end of seven years, his mind returns to him and what we read here next is his revelation of who God is and who he is. This is what Nebuchadnezzar found at the very end of it. And he discovered this, that God is very big and Nebuchadnezzar is really small. This being that Nebuchadnezzar sees is God is sovereign. This is what he sees here, that God is sovereign, that God is good and God is worthy of all our worship. So let's jump in here at this very aspect that God is sovereign here that Nebuchadnezzar saw. He had this massive revelation of God's sovereignty. Look at the end of verse 34 and also verse 35, and we'll see that here. Read with me. Again, uh, we haven't got the... uh, the help of the over, but hopefully you'll see some scriptures on the screen. Otherwise, please keep your Bibles open today, and that'll be make it real easy for you to follow along with me as we go through uh, today's talk. Verse 34, towards the end. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? Now, I just read a few words there like that, but it's more than just a few words, guys. That is a staggering passage. If we just stop and contemplate and think about what's happening there. If we could just camp on that for a while and be able to take it all in. Here's what we would see. God grows larger and larger and we grow smaller and smaller as we see what's taking place there. You see, God is way bigger than we could ever imagine. God is beyond our wildest imaginations. God is incomprehensible. We cannot contain the vastness and the wonder and the, the sovereignty of God in our hearts and our minds. And who are we? We are unnoticeable. We don't even register in comparison with God in the power and control stakes. We are accounted as nothing. We are small. We are nothing. It's a big picture here of a big God in his sovereignty. Let's spend a moment here thinking about God and His sovereignty. This is one of the foundational core doctrines or teachings of Christianity is understanding the sovereignty of God. We're not going to explore all of it today, but let's just spend a moment here as we think about this. How far does God's sovereignty extend? Let me contend here this. There is no limit to God's sovereignty. There is no limit to God's powers over this world whatsoever. Have a look with me here in this verse in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 33. It says this in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 33. The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. Now, a tiny, tiny little verse in Proverbs but it has a massive roll-on effect, a huge roll-on effect. What's it talking about here? The lot is... It's like dice. It's a bit like if you and I have a game of Monopoly and I'm looking to skip over the go-to-jail spot on the Monopoly board and I'm hoping I throw a six. I roll that dice across the board and you know what? God controls where that dice lands. God controls what number of that dice comes up on top that's what the writer of Proverbs is saying here in such an insignificant thing but you might be saying but that is so insignificant why would God really care about a tiny thing like that is God actually all over everything in this world in this universe yes absolutely God is vastly over every single thing that takes place in this world. There's not a thing that happens where God isn't involved in and how things fall. So what does that mean if I think like that? It means this, that God determines that when a bird is flying in the sky, whether it turns to the left or whether it turns to the right, God does that. God determines that when a leaf as we're about to come into the autumn season now, that when a leaf falls off a tree and it takes its pattern of falling down, God determines exactly where that leaf takes its pattern as it falls to the ground. God is involved in everything. That's what the writer says there, that as the lot is cast into the lap, it's every decision is from the Lord. So with the coronavirus, with this virus that's going around this world right now, God is the decisive factor of where this germ travels to. Absolutely. God determines where this germ lands and where it sits. God is the decisive factor that as a germ is left on the doorknob of a car door or an office door or wherever, God is the decisive factor of just who and when The next person is to be infected by that germ. God is in that and is the decisive factor. God in his sovereignty is the decisive factor that stands behind all things. All things, whether good or whether evil. He is in all things. Now this isn't saying that God is evil. Absolutely in God. Absolutely not. God is not evil. There's not a trace of evil in God whatsoever. But it is saying that God is the decisive factor in his permitting of evil to take place, permitting it to take place or allowing it to take place. That is that God ultimately is the ultimate uh, factor here that makes the final decree of who, what, where and when, even with the coronavirus. That is God's extent here in that. Look at this other scripture here with me from Second Samuel uh, chapter 24, verse 15, and see what uh, he says here. Second Samuel chapter 24, verse 15. It says this: "So the Lord sent a pestilence on Israel from the morning until the appointed time, and there died of the people from Dan to Bathsheba 70,000 men." Now you might be saying, is that for real? Is that that really in the Bible? Did I just read that correctly? Absolutely. That's what it says in 2 Samuel chapter 24 verse 15. King David had sinned at that time against God and part of God's judgment at that time was that God would allow a pestilence, a plague, a virus. It could be anything that God had decreed to come upon Israel and as we read there 70,000 people died. God sovereignly Allowed this to happen. God was the decisive factor in seeing that take place. Now, just let me share with you as I as I speak about this today, as you hear this now in your lounge room or your living room, there sits in within me as it were like a lump in my throat. There's like a, a heaviness and a weightiness upon me as I talk about this subject. I don't want to make any wrong misrepresentations about God whatsoever. It's with absolute reverence that today I talk about the Lord in his sovereignty because I want to bow down before him and just say that I am nothing in your presence, Lord, and you are sovereign above all things. I want to accurately portray who he is. Now, if I talk about this um, sin that David did and God decrees that a virus comes out, am I suggesting or saying there's some specific sin that God is punishing him by his sovereignty because of the coronavirus? No, not specifically at all am I going to say that. But also not forgetting in all that God does, there is a sense of judgment in all that he does. This world doesn't deserve to go on in the eyes of a pure and holy God. He is very gracious in allowing this world to move on. So there is a sense of judgment in all that he does. But I'm not saying it's specifically here about the coronavirus. I'm just saying God is sovereign in all these things. Now, as we think about sovereignty here, some people may protest and say, oh, I reckon it's Satan. I reckon it's Satan who's leading the charge here in this dreaded virus. I reckon it's him. Now if you're tuning in for the first time you're thinking, whoa, you, Satan, what are you talking about here? Well, we absolutely believe in the Bible there's an evil influence pervading its way around this world. And some may think, oh, it's Satan, he's doing all this. Satan's the one who's killing everybody with this coronavirus. And it's not God at all. And we've got to stand against Satan, against all of his hordes. We've got to push back against Satan. He's the one who's responsible for all this. Is that really true? Is that really true? If that is the case, are we saying that Satan is somehow driving this virus and God is somewhat prevented from stopping it? Is Satan pushing it on and God sort of prevented from stopping this virus? Think about that for a moment. Think about that for a moment. Are we saying then, if that's the case, that there are some areas that God isn't sovereign in? And he doesn't hold all power because Satan's doing something that God doesn't want him to do. Is that what we're saying? And if if we say that, is is God sort of standing there, as it were, helpless, perhaps with his hands tied behind his back, wishing it wasn't happening, but in some respects he's powerless to do anything about that? I wish it wouldn't go there. Oh, it's gone there. Is that what we're saying? If Satan's driving this? And that God somehow is sitting back and he's not able to do anything about this at all? Can you imagine if that's the case? Can you really imagine if that was the case? That's a scary thought, isn't it? That's a really scary thought. That somehow evil holds sway or holds power that God cannot touch. It's a very scary thought. What does that text say? Look again in verse 35. Says this, and he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, What have you done? What have you done? God does his will among the host of heaven. In other words, amongst the heavenly beings, whether they be angelic or whether they be demonic or evil. There is no opposition to God absolutely no opposition to God whatsoever. So no Satan holds no power anywhere in this universe over God. Satan may be milking this virus for all it's worth, for all the death and the destruction and mayhem that he can cause through it. Maybe he's doing that. But if that's the case, he does so on a leash. And have a guess who holds the leash? God holds the leash and he determines just how far Satan goes and doesn't go. He holds all power, including over Satan. Now, this introduces another element of God's sovereignty, which is really difficult for us as well as we think about this. In God's sovereignty, there's a whole mountain of mystery, a whole mountain of mystery that comes with it, things we just don't understand. Take this, for instance. Why does God allow a tsunami to roll into a gathered church on a Sunday morning, Boxing Day 2004, which sweeps the whole congregation away to their death? Or think about this. Why does God allow an evil dictator who causes death, suffering and mayhem to go on for decades after decades after decades? Why does God allow that evil dictator to live into his 90s a full life? Why do seemingly good people die tragically? And why is it that evil is permitted to go on and to prosper? What are the answers to those questions? I can't answer those questions. Nobody can answer those questions. You see, you and I can't see into the mind of a sovereign God as he carries out his perfect. We just can't see into that. We don't know what his purposes or plans are. We don't know what he's bringing about. We can't see into those things. There's a mystery there that we can't see. This is in the mind of God that we cannot get vision into his mind. Sometimes, though, maybe after the event, we may get a glimpse into his divine will. Take, for instance, Jim Elliot, a young American missionary back in the 1950s with four other young guys really committed to the gospel to go into Central America and reach some unreached tribes there. God permitted Jim Elliot and his four young friends to be killed by the Waodani tribe in an act of we just can't understand what's going on there. But this then proved to be a real opening of an amazing work of the gospel that could be carried on into that people group. It was through the death of those young men with Jim Elliott that some others could come in and God did an amazing work of the gospel in that tribe. Sometimes after that, we may get a glimpse. But very often, we don't. We don't understand God's purposes and his decrees in some times. So then, who the coronavirus infects or doesn't infect will somewhat be a mystery to us. Or the complete purposes that God is doing uh, this for will be a mystery for us. But we can rest in this fact. God is sovereign and he rules and he reigns in all things without fail. Now, if we just left it there about sovereignty, God's sovereignty, this could be a bit unnerving for us if we just sort of held it there and said, well, that's it, that's all we know. Because we could ask this question, how do we know that he's a good God and that he does the right thing? Or is this king, God, a really good king? Let's go back to our text again. Look in verse 37 there and see what it says. It says this. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honour the king of heaven. For all his works are right and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride he is able to humble. What does Nebuchadnezzar say there? He says this. All of God's works are right and and they are true. All of God's sovereign decrees, choices, and actions are true. Every time God makes, a, God makes a choice or makes a move in willing how things are to go or permitting how things are to take place, it's true and it's right. It's never wrong. God never makes a bad choice or a false decision. He never makes a wrong decision. We cannot say that when God's allowed something to happen, we can't say this. Oh God, I think I think you've got it wrong this time, God. I'm just I, yeah, I think you got this one wrong. We can't say that. All His ways, uh, all His works are right and they are true. It says also this: all of God's ways are just. God is morally pure and upright in all of His sovereign decrees. There's no hint. There's no hint of partiality or unfairness in God's sovereign will and decrees. His ways are just. He is a good God. Look at what the Lord said to Moses in Exodus chapter 33. God was speak, Moses was speaking with God, and Moses said, Please show me your glory. And this is what happened. Exodus chapter 33, verses 18 and 19. Moses said, Please show me your glory. And he said, which is God, I will make all my goodness, all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I'll be mer- I'll be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I'll show mercy on whom I will show mercy. What did God reveal about himself to Moses? All of his goodness. He's a good God. He's a gracious God. He's a sovereign God. And he never makes mistakes and he never gets it wrong. Let me demonstrate for you one more time here the goodness of God in a most astounding way. See, in many respects, we are like Nebuchadnezzar. Pride has come into our heart at various degrees, and we think that we are self-made people, that it's all about us. You know, when things are rolling our way, the pantry is full of food, the paycheck's coming in weekly, we've got a holiday plan, we've got a new car that's on the way. When we feel like this, we feel like we're on top of things and life just seems pretty cruisy when life is like that. I feel like I'm pulling all the strings here and I'm making all this happen. It feels like I'm on top of this, this is all about me. And when that takes place, Pride begins to creep into our heart. Pride begins to just move in and inflate ourselves. Now, this sort of thinking, when that happens, is arrogant towards God. It's arrogant towards God. He gives us life and breath. And we're saying in our pride that it's all about me. I'm a self-made person. I've got all this together. Ultimately, a good God must judge that type of attitude of pride. He can't let that attitude go on. So let me show you now this astounding picture here of the goodness of God, this sovereign goodness of God here in Acts chapter 2. Look with me now in Acts chapter 2. It says this in verse 23. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. There's sovereignty written all over that right there. You crucified and killed him by the hands of lawless men. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is sovereignly delivered up to be crucified by lawless men. It was in the plan and the absolute sovereign will of God for this to take place. For God is is displaying here his sovereign goodness by sending his son to take our place, to bear our judgment for rejecting God as our creator and as our life giver. That's a good king. That's a loving king. That's a gracious king. That is a king that can be trusted in his sovereignty because he's good, loving and gracious. He doesn't withhold his only son. He gives his only son to save and to rescue us. If we try and pull this together now and think about God's sovereignty, what does it mean for us today as we face the coronavirus and all of its fear that it's building in this world around about us? Firstly, if you are a Christian, it means this. We don't have to fear anything. We don't have to fear anything because our King is good. Our King is sovereign. Our King is gracious. God's sovereignty from a good King, a good God, is like a mighty rock to stand on. But we are safe, we are secure, we are confident... In the sovereign God who's demonstrated his goodness by sending his son to rescue us, we don't have to fear anything. And in fact, in fact, as we ultimately grasp this growing picture of the sovereignty of God, it will do the same for us as it did for Nebuchadnezzar. when he came back to his mind and his senses, Nebuchadnezzar was led to worship God. Look in verse 37 again there, you'll see words like praise, extolled and honoured His heart overflowed in worship now for a good God, for a good sovereign. His heart was bursting with worship, for this is the God that he had seen. This is the God now that he had known in his life, real time. Secondly, if you're not a follower of Jesus today, and if that's you, we are so glad you've tuned in. We'd love to have people come to exchange who do not know Jesus, maybe visiting for the first time. We want Everybody to be part of us. So that's you today, if you're not a follower of Jesus today, God's sovereignty is a call to repent. It's a call to change your heart and mind about how you see and think about God. That's what it is. It's a call today. When God and His sovereignty brings upon the world the coronavirus, it's a call to get our attention to rouse us out of our spiritual blindness, as it were, and to see a glorious God. Uh, C.S. Lewis makes this remarkable quote about pain and suffering. Read with me now, as hopefully we can put this on the screen for you as well. It says this, "'Pain insists upon being attended to. "'God whispers to us in our pleasures, "'speaks in our consciences.'" but shouts in our pains it is his megaphone to a, to rouse a deaf world let me read that again for you pain insists upon being attended to god whispers to us in our pleasures speaks in our consciences but shouts in our pains it's his megaphone to rouse a deaf world what do you feel when the virus spirals out of control what do we feel if our immunity is low and this virus is all around about us? What do we feel when the government's talking about putting us into lockdown? What do we feel when the economy is just grinding to a halt? What do we feel when we lose our job? What do we feel when we are standing in a massive queue outside of Centrelink? What do we feel when the next repayment is due And there's nothing in the bank. What do we feel when all that seems stable and sure and secure around about me is beginning to crumble? It's beginning to fall. We feel pain, don't we? We feel discomfort. This uncertainty is causing us a level of suffering. What is God doing in the coronavirus? He's shouting to us in mercy. He's holding up a megaphone and he's calling out to us loudly to a world that is deafened to God by all the spiritual blindness that has blinded us for all these years. God is holding up his megaphone and he is bursting through with a clarity of voice that he wants us to hear. What is God saying? This is what God is saying. He's saying this in John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him will not perish but have eternal life. This is what God is saying to us. It's a call to repent. It's a call to change our heart and change our mind the way we think about God. God's saying, look what I have sovereignly done. Look at what I've done for you. I've given you my son so that you could be saved. He's using this virus to wake us up. Sovereignly, as it were, rouse us from this deafening sleep that we've been in. And he's saying this, Will you accept my son today? Friend, can I urge you, Can I really urge you, consider the gospel. Consider God's voice, as it were, coming through the coronavirus. He's saying, I've given you my son. Change your heart, change your mind. Come to me and receive forgiveness and mercy so that you can be set free from the bondage of this world and come into a living and loving relationship of joyful grace in Jesus Christ. I urge you, please. Do that today. Let's pray. Father, I thank you and I praise you now that we can uh, spend this time together gathered around you. And I ask, Lord, please, stir our hearts, open our hearts today uh, to see the call that you are giving to us through the coronavirus. It's a call of grace. It's a call of mercy. Lord, you are exposing all of the false things we've built our world upon. It's filling our hearts with fear but you are breaking through that fear and uncertainty today and you are breaking through with a call of the gospel, I pray, Lord, please let that gospel call be loud and clear and let people respond today with, God, forgive me, I have sinned against you. Please take me as a son and as a daughter and adopt me into your family so that I would know your forgiveness and your grace. Lord, let the doctrine, let the teaching of your sovereignty build a strong foundation for us to stand on, to rest in, to be secured by, that no matter what storms of life we go through, we have a rock in Christ Jesus that we can stand on. Lord, I commit that to you now, and I ask it and pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, guys, if you have any questions today, or you'd love to, or you'd like to contact me, I would love to hear from you. Please uh, drop me a line on email, Todd at exchangechurch.org.au, or if you sat with a friend today, uh, they'll pass on my contact details, and I would love to catch up with you. Uh, thank you once again for joining with us, and uh, we pray you have a blessed rest of the week. Thank you.